It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Isaiah 40, verse 22. Welcome back to the Serrated Edge, the show where I flatten out your heresies and broaden your horizons. I am your host, Justin the Big Bad Baptist, and I am joined by another very special guest. He is a husband. He is a father in the making. He is a man of many talents and a former crayon eater. Welcome to the show, Daniel Martin, my brother, how you doing? Bold of you to assume the crayon eating habit has <laughs> decreased since I <laughs> since I left that particular club. No, I'm doing well. Doing well. Awesome, awesome. I uh, I actually met Dan uh, back in the day through some reformed uh, singles groups. It was always a good time. Uh, nevertheless, both of us are now uh, married fathers, which is great. That's a good place to be. So uh, let's go internet. That's been great. Uh, today, if you haven't guessed, we want to talk about something that somehow, unfortunately, is a continued point of controversy, uh, even amongst the Reformed Christian Internet. Uh, it saddens me, but at the same time, it does not surprise me. Uh, we want to talk about the Earth and its, and its shape. <laughs> is the Earth flat? Is it round? Is it box-shaped? Uh, these are all things that are questions that are very important uh, and have come up all too often recently, um, even in my personal life as well as on the Internet. So uh, what are your thoughts? What shape do you think the Earth is, my friend? <laughs> well, the, the Earth is, is well known to be a, I'm going to mess up this word, I think it's oblongate, spheroid mm shape it is not perfectly spherical hmm. i don't think anyone ever claimed with serious self-assured precision that was perfectly spherical but it is <laughs> essentially round in three dimensions it is somewhat wider at the equator which is what you would expect of a spinning object and how inertia and momentum works but it is essentially a it is closer to a sphere than it is to any other shape it is certainly not flat in any conception mm. of that word that's yeah <laughs> i mean it could be it could be slightly shaped like like an egg could call it egg-shaped earth that could be fun just you know why not yeah i mean <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah something between an egg and a perfect sphere yeah <laughs> so this whole flat earth theory which i can understand historically uh where the the, the sort of idea may have come um from a historical perspective before we had things like, you know, space travel, even air travel, you know, flying in a plane um, or, or weather balloons or literally anything else that goes up high enough that you can see the sphere of the earth. Um, but what interests me most is those who take a, a theological or a biblical attempt in order to try to prove the flat earth. Um, I know, I know you've seen this a lot. We've uh, been on some mutual threads 
uh, <laughs> some groups where people are, are uh, citing verses. Um, where in the world or why in the world do you think that this e- is even controversial right now? I, I wish I had a better answer for you. I mean, we, we live in certainly a, a sociopolitical moment where controversy is war- rewarded, um, where in, I mean, in some circles we're questioning anything tantamount to orthodoxy is rewarded. It's mm-hmm. bizarre to see the intersection of that mentality and the reformed Christian space. Uh, I, the, that again, the intersection of those spaces, I, I don't really understand, but, um, there is, there is a consider, I mean, there is a considerable intersection between the reformed Christian space and a, 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 you know, a deeply seated belief in man's inherent, you know, yeah. <laughs> man's inherent, you know, um, bent toward evil, especially in his unredeemed state. And so then when you have a, a, a government run by men who mostly you can see in their actions and judge by their fruit are, are, are unredeemed, there sure. is a natural bent to questioning exactly how well-meaning, you know, um, people in earthly governance are and it makes the actions and motives of governance as an organization suspect but Mm -hmm. um you know as far as how then you get to a position where you need to backfill this i'm going to call it a conspiracy theory about the earth being flat with scriptural reference i thought the you know we we had all pretty soundly rejected that in you know in in the western world quite some time ago when that was the predominant position of the catholic church and that was part of their um you know uh, they they opposed the 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 heli this the round earth and the heliocentric model of the universe or model of the solar system i should say um you know, I thought this was I, I thought this was litigated quite some time ago. Um, but uh, the notion that it seems to be having some kind of resurgence is also almost certainly fueled by social media and sure. the kind of the the quasi anonymous spaces on the internet that have allowed everyone with every opinion on everything to link <laughs> up with everyone else who has those same tiny minority opinions on all of those things. And thankfully, the flat earth, <laughs> the flat earth thought bubble has not invaded into the public mind and the public conversation to the same degree <laughs> that I would say some comparably ridiculous ideas have, mm-hmm. but, mm-hmm. um, nonetheless, it apparently remains a topic for conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I do seem to see a, a correlation between, uh, people's frustration with and distrust of, um, certain government organizations and their distrust of the way things have been handled these last several years in terms of the, um, the, the pandemic and all these things. I, I say that in air quotes because most of you aren't watching, but listening. Uh, uh, so I, I can understand even in particular among maybe the conservative non-Christians, the idea that because there's such distrust of these organizations that perhaps 
they've been lying to us in some way, shape, or form about the shape of the earth. I, I can I can at least conceive of how they might make those conclusions. And there's definitely a correlation between that group of people and this particular theory. But what I what I struggle with is the folks that are Christians who who come across uh, verses um, in Scripture that talk about uh, like, like let's look at Psalm 104 verse five, which says the earth foundations should not be moved, and that somehow that means that the earth is utterly rigid. Well, okay, so is is, is that in contradiction then uh, with Job 26 seven, which says he stretches. Uh, out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. So which is it? Is there a a foundation that it's sitting on or is it over nothing? Right. Um, Or is, is the scripture in contradiction because um, the verse that I read in the beginning, Isaiah 40, 22, right. uh, That says he, he sits above the circle of the earth. Well, then I hear the arguments. Well, it's a circle, but it's like a disc. It's like a, it's like a disc. Okay. Well, if, if we look (laughs) If we look at the Hebrew, it doesn't insinuate circle. It's, it insinuates sphere or roundness. Uh, and <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense. Plus, not for nothing. But if we look in the sky, like people have since, you know, all of time, you can see other circles <laughs> and round things in the sky. So I guess that makes the Earth pretty unique uh, in terms of uh, of shape. Um, I would imagine now. Uh, okay, so th- there must be some theological implications or some something. What are the consequences or what sort of consequences have you seen in people when they jump on this bandwagon of believing that the earth is somehow uh, a giant Frisbee? Well, as to the consequences, I mean, that's an interesting question. I think there's a, a generalized degree to which when you start saying certain things which make you sound like a non-serious person and a non-serious thinker the other Mm -hmm. things that you say are also coming out of your mouth Mm -hmm. um some of the weird correlations that i've seen um granted it's i think it's been a while and certainly obviously i haven't seen this in the reformed uh like in the reformed baptist space but in 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 encountering this idea outside of the Reformed Baptist base, but still ostensibly Christian per themselves, there is a weird interplay between sort of an offshoot of kind of the black Hebrew Israelite, mm. um, like people who also have very strange revisionist opinions on just world history, not, not even necessarily matters of biblical history, but just world history, the notion that Jews were came to North America and that North America was actually the promised land mm. or that um, there was a, a lost additional tribe of, of Hebrews that emigrated to Africa and became like the bulk population of Africa and, and sub-Saharan <laughs> Africa, I guess, uh, like really strange. Yeah. And, and I, I, you know, I'm quite certain if any of them hear me giving this explanation um you know they'll all get mad and say that my i'm straw manning them or whatever but i think the reality of the fact of the matter is there's so much variation in the random the as far as my perception is the random things they say about it um that i can't 
really give an accurate <laughs> accounting for it because I'm not sure anyone really can. Um, <laughs> but I, I mean, I remember seeing a friend of mine um, whom I, he and I enlisted at the same time out of the same recruiting depot um, and uh, went to recruit training around the same time. And we ended up in very different parts of the Marine Corps and didn't really interact with each other all that much, except for running into each other here and then. And I continued to be friends with him on social media. He got out and he fell into some whatever weird sect of sort of black, black Hebrew Israelite kind of, uh, offshoot alternative theology that it was that he fell into. And he, mm. I mean, his, his, um, I think this is generic enough and nobody's going to be able to connect this to him. His name was Matthew, but he started <laughs> calling himself like Matteo or whatever and spelling ah. it in, in like the old Hebrew form. And he would only ever, um, in his sort of bizarre theological rantings, refer to God using the tetragrammaton in all caps. Mm. And, you know, yeah, it's like, there's that, there's that type. And he started, he would take pictures of himself with like a turban, just very regular <laughs> white guy, just like me, would, like was wearing a turban and starting to wear like Middle Eastern garb. And he'd have pictures of himself holding a shofar and, and stuff, uh, if I'm saying that word okay. correctly. Yeah, yeah. And it was, it's just, it was a, it was a bizarre set of behaviors. And then as he fell into that, whatever that was, um, he then also became very, very convinced that the earth is actually flat and in fact bordered by a giant ice wall, which mm. might also have been guarded by giants or something uh, like the that. Nephilim. I, uh, it, it, it could be that I, I, there's a possibility that I'm adding that detail of in the, in my own memory, just because it's <laughs> another bizarre thing that could be said. Um, mm. but for sure, a discoid earth with a giant ice wall and no particular explanation of what happens beyond the ice wall. Mm. Um, uh, but yeah, there's, there's, there's definitely, there's a contingent that have a connection between those ideas um, mm. within the reformed Baptist space. Obviously it's not that connection, but um, that that's it. It certainly gets more bizarre from there. Oh yeah. Well, and, and, and not to, <laughs> let's not forget that if the earth were indeed a disc and somehow since before technology was really a thing that holograms of the sun and moon were being projected by some sort of master race that's had technology for all of human history. Um, and that everybody who of every, anything you've ever written historically is just a lie and fabricated in some way. Um, that's also not how light works. Like I, I've seen a lot of maps, right, where it shows the disk, and then up above the disk is the Earth, or the the Moon and the Sun, just kind of circling around the Earth. Um, I, if you know how light works, <laughs> there's no on that map. There's no point at which you'd stop seeing the Sun uh, or the mm -hmm. Moon. Um, yeah. Yeah, certainly. I mean, you have to you have to imagine this bizarrely small. Well, first off, you have to throw out everything we know about gravity mm. and all of the functional utility uh, that we have in our models of things like gravity. So, I mean, you look at a map, you look at a globe, you're not actually looking at the Earth. You're looking yep. at a model of the Earth. Yep. We we learn about things observationally we extrapolate from our observations we form models that we can use in our own mind to make predictions the utility of a model and what defines whether a model is actually correct or not 
is its predictive utility. So, you know, early in physics, they started discovering things about friction. They started doing math about, you know, block and pulley systems or whatever. And uh, eventually it got to the point where they could, if you described a theoretical setup of blocks and pulleys and a certain amount of weight set on a position, uh, set on a particular position, you could predict how much weight on this other position would be needed in order to lift it. You can make a two to one mechanical advantage, three to one mechanical advantage, whatever. And it was found to be correct because if you set it up in physical reality, it would work. Yeah, so yeah. the map maps and globes, their predictive value is if I plan navigation using these aids, will I actually get where I expect to get in the amount of time I expect to get there going at this particular speed in this particular direction as determined by either landmarks or, you know, um, magnetic compass navigation or now satellite navigation, which of course Mm -hmm. satellites, gravity, you know, anyways. So gravity itself is also a model of something that we observe. We're not actually, when, you know, when someone does the math in 9.8 meters per second squared, that's not actually them looking at the force of gravity. That's a model of the force of gravity. (laughs) So you have to completely throw that away. Forget for a fact that that model works. Forget for a fact that that model does actually predict the behavior of objects in reality. You have to ignore that. And instead, and instead, nothing. There, there is no like. There's nothing yeah. to backfill <laughs> that void. Yeah. Um, I rather, rather enjoyed uh, one particular flat earther's explanation of, of his non-gravity gravity that he believes in, which was, um, he was satisfied to understand that objects fall because it is in their nature to fall. <laughs> Which is the opposite of a piece of information. There is no information <laughs> contained in that sentence. Things no. fall because they fall. Thank you. I'm glad we've established that. Uh, um, so, you, you know, you have to supplant the model of gravity that we've been working with for quite a long time now, and which has proven quite effectively to predict the behavior of objects in reality. Mm-hmm. And uh, instead, you know, for that projection of light, you have to have this very small Earth which kind of like a finely tuned flashlight has very limited spill <laughs> and is rotating in a pattern, the mechanics of which there is no explanation. There, there is no modeling. There is no, no, um, there is no explanation. There, there's yeah. no modeling. There's no math. No one can actually like replace the, the, the schemes of modeling, the schemes of understanding that we have for the round earth and the heliocentric you know, solar system, um, which yes, all inertial frames of reference are equally valid. But if you pick any inertial reference, except earth, the earth rotates around the sun, yeah. um, but any, or revolves around the sun, but anyways, <laughs> um, uh, the, yeah, you end up with that weird, like flashlight that just sort of like rotates like this. And then, you know, uh, gravity's relationship to mass, you have to guess, disregard that as well, because if there's a discoid Earth, then there's more mass in the center. So towards the edges, we would all be leaning out sideways relative yep. to this flat surface and yep. whatever you conceive of as the edge, <laughs> which again, interestingly <laughs> enough, a lot of those discoids Earth, discoid Earth models, I think every single one of them that I've ever seen presents the what we term as North as being the center of the map and what we term as South as being the borders of the map, which is a convention that, by the way, is completely arbitrary. That was uh, that's just a made-up convention 
Mm-hmm. Mostly because Europeans were the ones that started doing most of that mapping stuff. So they determined our direction is up. And yeah. <laughs> so yeah. then they started drawing maps with North North America being up on the map is an arbitrary convention. It would be yeah. just as equally a valid map if it was rotated 180 degrees yeah. because <laughs> you would still like turn relative to where a magnet's going to point or whatever. It would all work exactly the same. So all those discoid maps, rather conveniently, are North America-centric, are Northern <laughs> Hemisphere-centric, which is just a pure affect from, you know, European yeah. and, and American, you know, sort of, mm-hmm. you know, uh, centrism in, in the early development of all those sort of things. But yeah, the, like all of, the, all of the predictive utility of everything falls apart immediately, and they, they have nothing to yeah. backfill yeah. that void except the insistence upon that's how it works. Yeah. Well, and then you have to assume that every, every pilot and every ship captain and every submarine captain, they're all lying all mm-hmm. together. It's mm-hmm. just part of training, you know, well, even, <laughs> but, even, more, even, even more profoundly than that, they're like, you know, uh, <clears throat> Google earth and all the navigational systems. What you, what you have to believe is that there is a front facing user interface that assumes mm. a spherical earth and does fake math to tell you what direction you need to point and how far you're going to go. <laughs> and then in the background, there's the secret real math that actually assumes a discoid earth or whatever. <laughs> and there's a conversion key going on somewhere because, yeah. it, you know, <laughs> the fact is ships and planes and, you know, everything navigating over serious distances are navigating on maps, which at least as far as everyone looking at them can tell, assume a spherical Earth. And all of the predictions generated by those maps actually play out in reality. So when the aircraft mm-hmm. take off from Philadelphia and they try, you know, want to get to London, they follow the the great circle route which takes them on the shortest shortest path in three dimensions but on a two-dimensional map looks like sort of a curved loop and they actually get there when they expect to get there (laughs) simultaneously the plane taking off from new york and going to la also flies a great circle route and they look like it looks on a flat map kind of like this yeah and they both can take off at the same time and get to where they expect to get at the time they expect to get there so no one has ever produced still still you know no one has ever found the secret key that keys the the imaginary user interface to the real maps that google actually knows <laughs> you know and and heaven only knows how many uh people it would require to maintain that mm. and it, just the vastness of of the the human enterprise that would go into all of that yeah. um well, yeah. You you also have to assume so we have many world governments, none of which particularly like to get along, uh many of which hate each other and are constantly mm-hmm. trying to expose one another. You have to assume that all of these governments are working together in complete unison with no nobody in any of these organizations anywhere on planet Earth, 7 billion people, 8 billion people, not a one has come out and said, "Aha, here's the proof." Right. Uh, here's the keys right, to the super secret uh, uh, information that we've been all lying to you for decades. Uh, never mind the fact that we are constantly going to war and all these other things. We hate, we're trying to blow each other off off the, the face of the earth. Um, 
that's that's quite a that's quite an assumption, quite a loop. Plus, nevertheless, we have billions and billions of dollars uh, being spent uh, on things like um, going to space <laughs> from lots of organizations. Um, all everything that's been concocted since like what the '60s has been um, all just some sort of fake pictures, even though somehow they all match up pretty flawlessly. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Every astronaut and cosmonaut who's ever been in space since the beginning of time uh, has lied. All of them are are. I mean, it's very that that's quite a leap of faith, uh, if if you might call it that. Oh, certainly. And the underlying motivation also comes into question. For one, I mean, there was, uh, you know, contrary to. Uh, you know, American public education, uh, if you were educated around the time I was, although I wasn't in a public school, um, <laughs> you know, by by the era of Columbus, it was had long since well been known that the Earth was more a spheroid shape and was not flat. That was calculated by a, you. Um, uh, I think his name was Euclides. I should have prepared for this better. Um, this was, <laughs> that was calculated by a Greek a long, a long time before. Um, it was well understood. Columbus didn't mistakenly uh you know it wasn't hadn't novelly thought that the earth was round he just thought it was a lot smaller um he thought he was going to get to india quicker um so uh in any case you know for a time though the the flat earth theory i mean if you just are standing at your own height of between five and you know six feet uh, as an average person um and you just look off in the distance, you typically only see a flat plane. It's not obvious to the eye that there's a curvature. So it makes sense that was the sort of default human assumption. Um, But then it was understood to not be true. And there was a period of adjustment that it took to get to that place where the whole of, you know, where humanity broadly, um, in so much as humanity that participated in community with each other, um, you know, not isolated tribes in New Guinea or whatever, um, <laughs> yeah. came to came to understand in the cumulative body of human knowledge that the Earth was not flat, but was in <clears> fact <throat> sort of spheroid. And the question is, why did that transition happen? When, right. when, when, when you know, thousand, a couple thousand years ago, a few thousand years ago, when that transition started up through at least five or six hundred years ago, when it was pretty well there, um, who was coordinating that? They could barely communicate further than they could see without considerable delays in time and all mm. that sort of stuff. And travel is extraordinarily slow. So how did this conspiracy to defraud the whole of the human experience uh, from knowledge that the earth was in fact flat start that long ago? And how are the people who are privy to this and supposed to be privy to it enriching their lives or taking advantage of that information in some way that benefits them. What's on the other side of the ice wall or like, is there a secret other habitable earth on the other side of this (laughs) coin that we live on that they have access to and they're mining it for natural resources. And that's why they're super billionaires. Like I I'm pretty sure Zuckerberg is rich because he made a website. I I kind of doubt that he's been secretly (laughs) mining, you know, uh, nickel and and whatnot from the other <laughs> side of the disc that we live on uh, so it's unclear to me exactly how the the people that are still supposedly suppressing this knowledge 
are benefiting it from it in any way and why it is that the people who managed to discover this knowledge, despite not being part of the cabal that that safeguards it, have not managed to similarly enrich themselves. It's it's sort of weird. There's not really a high correlation between people realizing, quote unquote, that the earth is flat with a conveniently northern hemisphere centric view toward the the actual geometries of the earth and have not suddenly become rich or found themselves suddenly able to travel way inexplicably faster than everyone else. You know, suddenly <laughs> London's only an hour away from New York City. It's amazing how you just start <laughs> flying in different directions and suddenly you can get there way faster. Like it's incredible. None, none of the none of the <laughs> supposed benefits of having this knowledge for which it's presumably being safeguarded have ever been uh enjoyed by any of the people who dare expose the realities it's it's uh it's interesting it's interesting to note <laughs> yeah absolutely i also find it amusing that the verse that i've heard most often often referenced is revelation 7 1 which says that i saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth holding back four winds of the earth that no one wind might blow on the earth or against any tree two things number one uh they're they're speaking out of the most prophetically hyperbolistic book and in all of the bible Mm -hmm. um second of all if there was four corners it wouldn't be a disc (laughs) it would be be a square or a rectangle Uh, Uh, but nobody's pushing for some rectangular earth uh uh, theory that i've seen um not that i've seen yeah and yeah Uh, plus we both know that if it was flat cats would have pushed everything off by now certainly Uh, yeah i (laughs) mine was was around he's around here somewhere he was in full crackhead mode earlier and <laughs> uh, and losing his cat mind when my wife and I tried to tidy up the place and certainly <laughs> yes a large uh, cosmic cat if nothing else would have come mm. to knock everything <laughs> off of it oh um, man the other thing i find amusing is is i love watching so so there's a couple of things that, that i think about number one i remember seeing this this uh, episode of some show where these these guys were set out to prove flat earth and so they stood a certain distance apart with little walls with holes in them to shine a light through. <laughs> and they shine the light through. If, supposing the earth is flat, you're not going to you're not going to have to lift up your flashlight higher or lower. You mm-hmm. could hold them at the same height. And sure enough, you're going to you're going to see the light. And they accidentally proved that the earth was round uh, <laughs> by doing that. The guy had to one guy was holding it up. The other guy had to hold it way up above his head for it to, for it to be seen. Um which I find uh, intensely amusing, and I, and I also find it amusing that no, that no proponent of this particular view uh, has done what I think would make them millions of dollars, and just got some sort of weather balloon and a camera that they trust, you know, because GoPros we know just fisheye lands, everything is round in a in a GoPro. Mm. <laughs> so get some sort of camera that you trust, send it up in a weather balloon. Eventually, it's going to get up there. Uh, do it in, in some some area where there's, I don't know, mountains. I mean, you you can see the differences in the mountains. Just send it up, see what happens. Mm-hmm. And and then when it, when it lands, when you go get it, uh, which good luck calculating that uh, without GPS, <laughs> finding mm-hmm. it built on a spherical earth model, uh, find it and then, and then review the footage and just become rich. I mean, you'd be the richest, most brilliant scientist on planet earth. Very much um, so. But again, but again, that, that doesn't seem yeah. to ever. Well, I mean, you could also, you can skip the entire like complexity of 
the complexities like added by visible light transmission at all. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were to instead consider using an omnidirectional UHF or VHF transmitter, so ultra high mm. frequency or very high frequency, it's uh, there are you know radio bands and they'll punch through walls and stuff, but they don't bounce in the atmosphere. Right. So if I'm standing here on the ground, um, I get pretty good reach. I can get through a fair, a fair number of walls and stuff, depending on the power of transmission or whatever. But um, as the, the the extent to which every time I key up, some of it just gets sprayed up towards the atmosphere, it'll punch through the ionosphere and all that sort of stuff. Some longer wavelength, wavelength, goodness gracious, transmissions uh, like HF um, will, you can actually get them to bounce. So that's how some long range communications are done. You can actually use certain Mm -hmm. properties of, of the electromagnetic stuff in the atmosphere to bounce transmissions back down towards the earth that you've actually sent upward into the atmosphere. UHF and VHF will not. They are, it's, it's too short of a wavelength. It'll just punch through and go out into space. So if you float a non-directional and omnidirectional UHF or or VHF um, transmitter to like at like 10 Watts, which is not crazy amount of power. If you float that to a hundred thousand feet, whatever with a helium balloon and somebody in China can pick up your transmission, then you've debunked, debunked the spheroid earth or <laughs> India or Africa. But yeah. if you float a UHF or VHF transmitter from North America, I guess I should be more specific. If you float it over North America, it does not have the penetration power to get all the way through earth and it will not be bounced by the atmosphere. So if it's received on what the spheroid earth would continue, would consider to be the opposite side of the earth, then you have debunked the spheroid earth or you've debunked the properties of UHF or VHF, but you've debunked right. the spheroid earth. <laughs> so that doesn't rely on cameras. It doesn't rely on lenses. doesn't rely on anything. And you could make as simple or as complicated a coded message that's just being repeated as you want. But your the reception will be limited by essentially in, in a spheroid earth, by essentially a cone shape. You, you can get out to whatever altitude and that UHF or VHF or whatever will reach to whatever the, as big as the cone happens to be up to, at some distance, theoretically, an entire half of, you know, and a, a perfect hemisphere of the earth would receive mm-hmm. the, uh, it and the other would be in shadow on the other side of the earth itself. Yeah. So um, you could, you could absolutely eliminate the issue of, um, of visible light by doing an experiment like that. But you're yeah. simply never going to receive a VHF or UHF signal that is geostationary above North America on the other side of the world. You're just not going to. If the yeah. Earth was flat or discoid or however you want to, you know, want to conceive of that, then you could relatively easily set up that demonstration. I mean, you know, handheld radios are not that expensive, and five watts will transmit pretty much forever. Um, you could conceivably get a pretty high power base station up there and just start chirping out, you know, an audio signal that just says the earth is flat. The earth is flat. The earth is flat. The earth is flat. (laughs) And if you, if somebody standing in India picks that up from something being transmitted over North America, then congratulations, you've debunked the spheroid earth, but it's not going to (laughs) work. That's awesome. Well, uh, even take a look at something as simple as the seasons, right? Um, 
it's it's so simple. Uh, as as the days get shorter, which how's I don't know how, again, I don't know how that's going to work in your little disk model. Uh the days are getting shorter and colder and then snow starts happening. Well, on the other side of the planet, you have longer days and warmth uh and no no snow, right? Uh or or even going from north to south, right? From New York to Florida, <laughs> right? The middle of winter, closer you get to the equator. None of these uh, predictions, weather predictions, none of them would be possible uh, in the way that we understand them in any measurable sense on a disk, on some sort of discoid Earth. It it would be inconceivable, even the length of the days, right? Take a look at something like Alaska. If this ball, uh, sun, is spinning around somewhere up there, something like Alaska, which has sun sometimes of the year, 24 hours a day, how in the world, if it's moving all the way over there, how in the world is it still putting light over Alaska? Mm-hmm. It's illogical. Yep. It's silly. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, there's no, there's no modeling that explains the phenomenon that we can observe with our eyeballs living hmm. anywhere on the planet that does not assume a spherical earth. You can't. Yeah, I can. I. I mean, I'm not a. I'm not a geophysicist, <laughs> so I couldn't <laughs> produce a set of equations for you, which you could check to make sure that I followed PEMDAS, <laughs> you know, and did did math correctly the way that we accept math done. Mm. Uh, but it certainly could be produced and has been produced in, in you know in the in the sum totality of human knowledge uh, many many equations which explain the moon is this big. It weighs per se, this much and is this distance away, it pulls this much because it's of its position relative to us. I expect the beach at the beaches here, there's going to be more water at the beaches here. The water will have pulled away or, or will have, uh, you know, come, come closer or will have pulled away. And those, that math is, has been done and those models exist and those models assume a sphere earth and they assume, assume, you know, the, the sun to be 93 million miles away and many, many, many times the size of the earth. And it assumes the moon's size and distance and stuff. And it accurately predicts what we see over and over and over again without variation. And there is no comparable set of equations that follow PEMDAS and do all the, you know, do all the things or whatever to explain any of the dynamics that we actually see as phenomenon, assuming anything other than a sphere earth. Yeah. And it just, it just, it just, you just have to toss a whole bunch of knowledge into a hole and say, the fact that that works doesn't mean it's real and and then (laughs) replace it with nothing. (laughs) <laughs> and the uh, you know especially the 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 richness also gets in you know when um they'll say uh what is it they'll say that there's uh, ways that light behaves over a dome and the way they'll validate it is by experiments where they're like holding a flashlight over a dome that's like the size of a dinner plate and like huh light doesn't uh, excuse me for a second make that <laughs> make that flashlight like a billion times bigger and then also send it like 40 miles that way. And now maybe you'll be, have like a proportionate sense of, you know, it's so little. <laughs> we are so far away from the sun that the light hitting us is all traveling pretty close to parallel. We're not being hit by a flashlight beam that's diverging at any meaningful 
you know, angle relative to each other, we're being hit by nearly parallel light because even though the the sun is so much bigger than the earth, we're so far away also the proportions, it's, it's ridiculous. And so <laughs> to think you can sit in your living room with a flashlight and a dinner plate and be like, oh, that's how light behaves over a disc. Like, well, that's how a very close light with a very large spill behaves over a very small disc <laughs> in your living room. But you haven't proven anything about how earth and the sun interact yeah. with each other. Well, and, and that would take in that wouldn't take into any account something like an eclipse, right? Uh, either a solar or a lunar eclipse would not be mm-hmm. possible in in either of those uh, in any of those scenarios. Um. Anyway, listen, folks, this is a Christian podcast, so I'm just going to give you a couple of verses to look up so that you can you can uh, take into consideration what the Bible says about the shape of the Earth. So there's obviously Isaiah forty twenty two, which I referenced. There's Proverbs eight twenty seven, uh, Job twenty six verses seven and verse ten. Um, just check those out. You'll you'll read about the shape, <laughs> the shape of the earth, and consider when you're reading uh, the Bible. Let's not. So there tends to be also a tremendous correlation between flat earthers and dispensationalism <laughs> they're they always because and it comes from a, a hyper literalist reading or a, a, some sort of biblicist reading of the text where there's no room for hyperbole there's no room for metaphor there's no room for for anything other than it's literally what it says so suddenly verses are going to start contradicting each other um and you're going to become a dispensationalist uh because it's the only if you read the Bible that way, that's the only eschatology that fits in that sort of weird hermeneutic. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, just just check out those. Start with those, and then if, if you all have questions, um, uh, I will give you Daniel's address. You can write him letters. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's wild, man. Um, yeah, if, if there's anything else you want to throw out there, uh, by all means, um, go ahead and, and dunk on them. Um, I got nothing else, but if you got more, let's hear it. I, yeah, I, I mean, dunking is fun, but you know, on the, it's, it's on the one hand, um, you know, scripture does speak about stirring up unnecessary strifes and, um, causing problems. And so there's, there's reason for all of us to, investigate our motives when we are considering this these issues when we're having discussions with each other um so as as much as i am guilty of this <laughs> myself um it's also you know it's just a good thing to to keep in mind in general so mm. i would say i think this is something that bears bears worthwhile discussion um to discuss at least because of what I mentioned at the very beginning as as you start saying things um that are kind of silly um the other things that come out of your mouth are also coming out of your mouth so um it's <laughs> yeah. it's important to consider one's witness um when we consider these other issues if you even you know take the time to consider this a theological question per se i i don't i would hardly say there's salvific significance really to to claiming that sure the earth is flat versus claiming that the earth is round or even that there's a giant government conspiracy to make you believe that the earth is round when it's really flat 
Um, certainly some of the other things that seem to go along with those assertions can have some, you know, salvific significance. Um, uh, but um, it, it, it matters. The positions that you hold on a, on a broad range of things do matter in the cumulative judgment of um, what it is you're saying, what it is you're representing. And um, yep. it brings all the rest of us along for the ride when you take certain, you know, it, when you, when you take positions on the things that you, take positions on. So it's always um, important to, to consider the broader perspective on one, on one's witness when you consider these questions. Absolutely. Great wisdom. Uh, If there's anything you want to plug, uh, I know you have at least one Instagram account that's worth following. Um, But if there's anything you want to plug, by all means, now's your chance. I mean, sure. So I have uh, on Instagram, I, I mean, I have a YouTube channel and some other things as well, but I, I'm not very, I'm very busy nowadays with a lot of other mm-hmm. things, but I, I mostly um, make content about uh, medicine because that's my professional arena and uh, my personal sort of side interest that I carried out of my military experience related to guns, tactics, and the intersection between medicine, guns, tactics, personal security, and all that sort of stuff. So if you would like to find me on Instagram, I'm the tacticalopath. It is a combination of the word tactical and allopath. So it's T-H-E-T-A-C-T-I-C-A-L-L-O-P-A-T-H, the tacticalopath. There's an underscore in the middle there. But anyways, if you search the tacticalopath, you should find me. And uh, as always, Justin, I'm grateful to grateful to be on with you. Grateful to have some fun with uh, conversation. And glad to know that things are going pretty well for you as well. Yeah, appreciate it, brother. And likewise, I'm very excited for you. I know your wife is at any moment ready to give birth, uh, so that's going to be an exciting time. I, you know, I I I don't want to say I wish you the best because I know that you're very much looking forward to it. Um, there's going to be some sleepless nights, and so, mm-hmm. uh, but I know you're prepared. So. I'm very excited for you guys and um, and I'm praying for you. I'm praying everything goes well. I appreciate it. We definitely appreciate it. Folks, uh, thank you so much for hanging out with us. This has been a blast. Uh, check, uh, check social media uh, because I'm, of course, on social media. I'm on Facebook um, and I have a Facebook group. Just search for the Serrated Edge. Uh, I don't I don't even I, I do have an Instagram, but I don't really use that much Twitter or I should say X. Uh, now X, on x.com. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm, I'm not, I don't have any show related content on there, but I do, uh, I do spend some time on there. Um, and then of course, if you want to see our, uh, our incredibly handsome and rugged faces, uh, check me out on Patreon. Uh, you can head on over there and get some video unedited, totally raw content, uh, to bless your optical receptor balls there. Um, and, Folks, remember Proverbs 12.1, whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. Thanks so much for tuning in. <laughs> <laughs>